what makes a true leader. Are they born or are they forged by fate, happenstance or karma? Do true leaders even consider themselves so? And even then, how does the East of England retain its best and brightest leaders in the face of national, if not international, competition? There was only one possible source for an answer. A mentor himself and a curator of leadership. The CEO of Nelson Spirit, Nigel Cushion. And also Charlotte Pounder, one of the future leaders whom we hope will come through our ranks and take our region forward. Well, what an auspicious day to be talking about leadership. This is the 5th of September 2022 and Liz Truss has, within the past two hours, been uh, named as uh, our new Prime Minister. But more importantly uh, than that, we are here in the offices of Nelson Spirit in Norwich with... Uh, please introduce yourselves. Hello, hello, Mike. Uh, it's Nigel Cushion. And Charlotte Pounder. Sh and now, Charlotte, you've you've uh, just come back off holiday yeah. and you've you've kind of... Uh, do you want to tell people what you do at Nelson Spirit? Because it's been very, you've, you've done a lot of work abroad, but you've kind of really sort of come, come back home and uh, you're really sort of seized the, seized, the, uh, seized the reins, if that's not too uh, <laughs> melodramatic, here, at, here in Nelson Spirit and got the bit between two. Tell us what you do here. Uh, my time here has been amazing. So I joined almost exactly a year ago, um, back in September, as an intern. So it started off um, on our home first uh, internship and it was a three-month placement where I was mainly doing marketing sort of roles. Um, love my time here, but always had the intention to travel a bit and volunteer as well. So it's kind of fitting in that alongside my work here at Nelson Spirit. And I got to Christmas and I really, really didn't want to leave. And it sort of uh, turned into a situation with Nigel where we could uh, bring in my desire to go abroad and do some volunteering alongside a more permanent role here. So yeah, things have gone really quickly and I've just been, um, had so many amazing opportunities in all different kinds of work, which has been great. That's brilliant. And Nigel, um, it's hard to know where to start <laughs> because you sort of mental coach, um, you are in many ways kind of the custodian of that, the Nelson Nelsonian uh, uh, spirit, or, well, Nelson spirit, so obviously, but you're kind of almost, you, you seem in many ways to me to be, uh, and no disrespect to other historians in Norfolk, but very much sort of the curator and, and, and sort of historian in chief of of that kind of le the leadership and you know, throughout Norfolk and the East of England. Is that fair? Yeah, we got, I got personally got very interested in, in Nelson about, uh, about 15 years ago and uh, was, was, was flying back from an, from an event abroad and was reading, reading a book on Nelson and, uh, and, and got captivated. And really the thing that caught my imagination was uh, not, uh, yes, we're interested in the history, but particularly his unique approach to leadership. Um, all being about engaging with people and getting close to people and um, the thought of maybe we could start applying that to, to our lives, to our businesses and charities. We have some fantastic businesses and charities in, in the East, as you know, Mike, um, but at that time, very much everybody was kind of doing their own thing and working alone. Nelson's whole thing was close engagement with the enemy. And I thought, well, the enemy today might well be, uh, you know, the fact that we're all, we're all working separately. So that was kind of the start of us. And uh, we got nine people together locally, uh, the chief execs and managing directors of businesses and charities, just nine of us 15 years ago. And we've just welcomed our 57th member in. And it's been a heck of a journey. Oh, wow. That's, that's huge. And, you know, uh, do you, 
for those who aren't familiar with uh, Nelson Spirit and the work you do, can you just sort of encapsulate that for me? Yeah, no, the, the Nelson Spirit, we are a, we're, we're a gang, in effect. <laughs> 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 a gang of troublemakers. I think Robert Kett, you know? We're, we're a gang of troublemakers. Um, yeah, we, it, we provide leadership mentoring. So we're a gang of leaders. So we're made up of uh, 57 uh, chief execs of businesses and charities, all from the county of Norfolk. And, and our uh, mission is to support each other, to encourage each other, and to support each other on our leadership journeys. We meet every month and um, uh, we essentially have one-to-ones. So it, it's a very simple idea. It's bringing together leaders who are doing some, I mean, there's some fantastic things currently being done in the county. Um, and uh, all, we do, all we do is just bring people together so that they can, uh, they can support each other and, and talk to each other. That's, so that's the business we do on the, on the adult side, if you like, on, on, on the, on the, lead, on the uh, leaders of today side. But of course, Charlotte uh, and her role here is to do with the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, so that's all of our future leaders' work. Um, so we've had work with schools in the region. Also, uh, we've done a number of internships over time. Just uh, before we broke up in summer, we had um, a week-long intern come in and just kind of parachute into the business and see how things run here. And it was great to, to have him along. And then also we've had our Future Leaders Fund, which has been going uh, for the last kind of decade. And that's where we've supported young people aged 17 to 24 who've wanted to do leadership projects abroad. Um, for example, kind of Rally International or uh, Projects Trust, things like that. And we've supported 55 future leaders so far. And they've including gone. Including yourself. Yeah, including me. <laughs> so, so tell, yeah. Sorry, I just No, don't worry. No, it's worth perhaps telling Mike about, you know, the fact that you were running this program for us, but actually then you saw an opportunity in Costa Rica so maybe yeah I think it was a good experience and great for great for me to be able to get to experience it so um, I headed off to Costa Rica for seven weeks um, back in March I think it was yeah for uh, yeah seven weeks of volunteering and um, trekking as well so how would you describe yourself as a leader and what do you look for uh, in others in terms of leadership potential and you know I'll ask I'll come to Nigel in a second but I'll ask, ask you first Charlotte that question. Yeah I think for me I'm definitely at the start of my uh, leadership career I wouldn't even say I was necessarily a leader myself I get through this role I get to talk to so many amazing CEOs and charity leaders um, but there are occasions for example in Costa Rica where I did have to take a more of a, a leading role um, and I think I've always been a fairly quiet person, quite reserved, um, but very good at understanding other people. And I think that for me as a leader is just my emotional intelligence is probably something that I focus on and getting to know my team really well and building on their strengths so that, yeah, everyone kind of brings a good part to my leadership, I guess, which, yeah, but I'm for sure I'm learning so much and over the last year. I've I've got to kind of learn different leadership techniques of different people I've met and see what they do. So that's probably the first part of the question. What was the second? What I perhaps I'd, I'd respond to that and something Nigel raised earlier is to talk about um, sort of different leadership styles before we sort of we'll, we'll get on to sort of how that applies more directly to the, to the region. But mm -hmm. 
looking very much at the, the, the kind of split in opinion between what's the best kind of leader. Is that sort of the lone wolf up the top, sort of a bit unknown, but uh, everyone looks up to them and, 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 and moves forward? Or, or is it the sort of the consensual leader who sort of wants, brings in the team or wants to hear from everyone and... Uh, you know, some say that the lone wolf is, the, you know, the, the, at the top is a, is a bit untouchable, unreachable, not really, in, you know, listening to the, to the troops on the ground. And some say that the consensual style sort of brings a homogeneity um, to the team. They, they bring in the people like them, um, not necessarily the best people. But I, you know, I, I have no, no view, but I, Nigel. You, our leadership, you know, you, who knows more about leadership than you? Well, I don't know. Um, I, I would say neither. Okay, I, I, I think the key thing about leadership is, is, is to be yourself. Uh, because at the heart of leadership is getting people to want to follow you, to uh, be inspired by, by you and, and, and the direction you're going in. And, I, and it's interesting, uh, one of the things that, uh, why we were keen to engage young people, um, the leaders of the future in the county in our programme, was that to expose them to the huge variety of different leaders. I think Charlotte would agree, I think we've over 50 leaders in the crew currently, and they're all very, very different. And I think that's the key thing about leadership, is about being yourself, be, being authentic, being different. And what we're trying to do with young people is, is to expose them to all these sort of different types of leadership. There isn't, there isn't one, there's no one size fits all, you know? And I think there's a time, some of the best leaders sometimes need to be authoritarian and directive and the lone wolf. Other times you need to be more consensual and more participative. And I think it's very simple, to simplistically split it into the two, yeah. it kind of, it kind of, kind of works in an academic frame but the thing I've learned really from from work, working with all these fantastic leaders we have in the county over the last uh, 15 years is that they are all completely different and none of them <laughs> not a single one would fit any of the models yeah and I think that's what we tell young people you know be yourself um, and, and part of the, of the experience that we provide uh, future leaders in the county is to put them in contact with people who are leading real stuff today and, and to be inspired, and not all of us are inspired by the same things. You know, there is a, there is a chemistry involved. And I think that it comes back to two things, really, in my book, character and, and capability. You know, the character is, um, do you trust the person who's leading? Uh, are they authentic? Do you believe them? Um, are they the sort of person who is honest? And this, this is the, the starting point, because if you can't get past that, then yeah. you won't follow. And then the second thing is, do you believe they have the capability to do stuff? Can they get stuff done? Are they good at their job? Yeah. And so I would say character and capability are the two things. And of course, often they're context specific. You know, being a fantastic head teacher or being a fantastic head of a manufacturing business or being a fantastic startup entrepreneur, they're different contexts. Yeah. And therefore they would require slightly different skill sets. But the thing that's common to all these situations is character and capability. Yeah. Well, let's come on to talk about sort of how we get uh, leaders emerging uh, in in this part of the world, and I suppose what I'd, I'd say first of all, Charlotte, is what pre Nelson spirit was there out there to say, hey, you could be a leader, and this is how you become one. There definitely was throughout my school life, and also during university, there was the opportunity to develop some of those skills. Uh, for sure, there's areas for improvement um, across the education system, and definitely at university, but I, for example, I was able to join um, extracurricular um, clubs and societies while I was at university and was on the kind of committees for those, which was a great first taste of uh, leadership and having to work alongside other students who are in a similar situation and take on 
hundreds of other students as well and try and get them engaged and um, involved. So yeah, for me, I think I've learned a lot about leadership definitely here at Nelson Spirit and also at school, for example, as a prefect and um, had various other kind of responsibilities and looking after younger children, doing tours around the school with parents, that type of thing. But um, yeah, I would say leadership as a concept isn't necessarily explored as much as it could be. Is, is it a case, do you think, of being live and aware of those opportunities, like being a prefect? They're not they're not things that are, I mean, I don't know, I, there wasn't that kind of thing at the school I was at, but um, is it a case of you get off, you get offered these things and you think, oh, that's great. And you sort of find yourself sort of stepping down that road. Or is it more of a case of you consciously set out to achieve these things and shape your, shape your conduct accordingly? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I right. think for me anyway, I can't speak on behalf of all people my age at all. But um, for me, the opportunity to, if those roles are available, then obviously, um, that helps in the first place. Mm -hmm. But for me as a person, I knew I wanted to grow and and kind of develop those skills. So I knew that that's a path I wanted to take. So I think the two kind of work together. Yeah, I'd, I'd come in on, I'd agree yeah, with that. I, I, think, I, think, I think you need the, you need the two. I think you need the, uh, the, the provision of the opportunity needs to be there and that comes from, can come from the community it can come from business it can come from schools it can come from voluntary organizations it can come from clubs and society is it in, in your village the, the hockey club or the football club or the chess club whatever so that there needs to be opportunity but also i think leadership is about having a drive within yourself i think you have to want to do it you have to want to step forward and do it and i think one of the things we're trying to do in schools is provide the opportunities there for the young people who want to take them. And it's, it's not for everybody. Some people, you know, don't are not up for it and, and don't want it. Um, but others, many, many do. And, and, and what, what we're trying to do is to get, get something out there so that we can make the facility available to a wider cross-section of people. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll try and stop um, couching it in, in quite so binary uh, terms. But so, Nigel, are we doing enough regionally uh, in the east of England to nurture new leaders? And, you know, perhaps if, if you, you know any examples of good practice, please, you know, put, put them in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's those, you know, uh, do, do we have enough days of sunshine questions, isn't it? Yes. I mean, the, the answer is obviously no. We're not, you know, you, you, know, <laughs> you, you, ne you never do enough. Um, well, what I would say is ge generally speaking, as, uh, as a nation, we're not doing enough. Um, I would say we're, we're, there are not enough inspiring role models, I don't think, um, for young people, regardless of what the young people want, want, want to do with their lives. You know, and there's probably more a question for Charlotte to follow up in a sec when, when I've finished. Uh, there's more, more a question for her. But yeah, who, who, do we, who do we look at? And who do you look up to, Mike? And who do, who do I look up to? Who, who in around in the national picture, the international picture, you know, who do we aspire to be like? And I, and I think most of the leaders we talk to say that there's not enough people for them to look up to. You know, yeah. there's a general shortage of good leadership role models. Um, how well are we doing in, in Norfolk and East Anglia? Well, better than the rest of the country, I, I, I would say. I, I, think, I, think, I would yeah, say I we see. are, uh, <laughs> I go to far as say a lot of the stuff that I see happening in this region is not happening elsewhere in the county or, country, or we can't see it if, if, if yeah. it is. So I think there's loads of good stuff. Um, for, for example, um, we were approached last, uh, a few months ago uh, by Langley School who wanted to offer a Nelson scholarship to a, uh, a, young, a young person from a state school 
who wouldn't normally have the opportunity to go to an independent school. And, and they were going to offer that free of charge and they wanted to know whether we would help with, with the selection. Um, but that's turned into, into four places which have now been offered at Langley oh, wow. School, uh, two fully funded and, and, and two partially funded. Um, and the Nelson Spirit crew have kind of got, in, got involved in that. And we had some tremendous applications. We had, we had 20 young people came through an assessment exercise. And the quality of young people in, in, in Norfolk in terms, of, in terms of wanting to be future leaders is, is incredible. So I think, I think, yeah, there's lots of exciting, that's just one example of, of, yeah. of exciting things are happening where business, charities, schools are coming together to, to make things happen. Interesting, a lot of this is done off the radar. You know, you don't read about it in the press. Um, so it's great that you're here, Mike, so we can, uh, so we can talk about it, you know. Absolutely. But, uh, in, in the kind of national press, they, you know, they seem to be obsessed with the kind of negative stories and the, you know, the, the, the bad news stories. But actually, what we find on the ground, I mean, all we need to do is ask a few leaders to help, and this, we're usually inundated with help. Um, particularly if we're talking about sort of helping young people on, the, on their journey. Yeah. Charlotte, no. uh, I've talked for a long time. No. But what's your... Your thought on that? I think, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I've seen kind of firsthand um, what other graduates have kind of gone into in the region as well. And a lot of my friends have actually come back to Norfolk and have got jobs here. And it's that's really great to see. And the Home First programme that we've been doing and along with our kind of internships and young leaders work, I think it's just, it's really nice for, for me to connect with those people and, and yeah, see how so the, the Home First started a couple of years ago. Yeah, I was going to come on to ask about Home First. Yeah, well, Home First. Home First, tell me about Home First. Well, it started, it started a few years ago. We, we were, um, we were recognised the fact that lots of, uh, of the young people in East Anglia, particularly those that do well at school, um, look to London. To, to, to head off to is, is their first career step. And many go to universities outside uh, East Anglia, um, but they often come home um, maybe for a gap year or, or, or some sort of break. And um, what we found was a number of young people coming home and kind of working in pretty mundane jobs to earn a bit of money before they went traveling, as, as, as Charlotte has done, um, before they took part in a, in a voluntary project. And um, we just tried to think about whether we could do something that was a, a bit better. Um, over on one hand, we had 50 fantastic local businesses doing some great work who could provide brilliant opportunities. And then we had lots of young people coming back to the city of Norwich who were going to go on to great things in London, but were hanging around for kind of a few, or looking for a bit of work for a few weeks. So we, we put together a programme called Home First, which is to say to any graduate, any some, a Norwich person who has left the city and is at university, um, come home as your first step, um, come and work with one of the fantastic businesses in and around the city before you then go on to, to your next move. So that's where the Home First programme came in. Yeah. So you, you've got experience with that programme, obviously. Yeah, so that's where I kind of started. That was a start point um, last September. And uh, yeah, I had the opportunity to travel and also to get experience and go to all of the Nelson Spirit meetings as well. Um, so that's what our Home First graduates get to do. Um, and so amazing chance to meet other meet other charities and businesses that you may or may not want to work for in the future. And we've, we just looked last week and we've got uh, uh, people who've been on Home First uh, here on, here in Norwich have worked in the cabinet office, uh, they worked for wow. Cardo, Cap Gemini, uh, Accenture. Wow. So some of the top names, blue chip names. <laughs> no <in> pressure. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and Charlotte's next. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm just, I was actually thinking, I must invent a time machine <laughs> and tell myself. <laughs> is it your interview, Mike? <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit late for, well, who knows? No, never, never too late. Well, it's interesting to talk about sort of people going and coming back because I, I came across 
um, some uh, data from the Higher Education Statistics Association, and everyone's going to start rustling. <laughs> like if you'll if you'll turn in your hymnals, oh, yeah, please, page numbers, and there's this lovely little bar chart with um, and it which kind of really kind of bears out uh, not I don't want to say stereotype, but and we've got. Uh, You've got uh, four categories. Incomers, neither lived nor studied in the area previously. Returners, left for study, returned for work. Stayers, of, as it uh, implies, studied and stayed to work. And loyalists, loyals, lived, studied and stayed to work within the region. Now, not unsurprisingly, the east of England has... Uh, and this, these are figures from 2012-2013, which is sort of the most recent versions I could find... Um, the East has the largest cohort at 40% um, of returners who left the area and returned to study. Unsurprisingly, London has um, the most number of incomers who, who sort of head, head out for the bright lights, big city. Uh, in terms of stayers who stayed and studied, to, uh, studied and stayed, uh, that's, that's Yorkshire um, has the highest total there. And um, in terms of loyals lived studied and stayed to work in the region that's kind of the, the north of england uh both the the, the north northeast leading with the northwest not far behind uh around about the 60 percent mark now those aren't massively surprising i think um but i just sort of nigel charlotte what's your take what's the nelson spirit take on these the, the, the amazing thing was when we first looked at this um, and we looked at the incomers returners stayers and, and loyals category um Charlotte is now the, the 32nd intern that we've had in the business um, it, it, since we began. And um, we've realised we've got people in every category, we, we, yeah, yeah, which was interesting to interesting. us. Yeah. So, you know, just to give, uh, Freya was an incomer. She, she came to, and, and did an internship with us. She lived in Brighton. She, she moved to the area to, to do the internship. Um, we've had Alison from the UEA who um, uh, came from outside the area to the UEA and she stayed, at the, she stayed in Norwich working with us afterwards. And then we had James who was from Norfolk who went to the UEA and, and stayed. And, and now Charlotte is a returner. So you, you went to Exeter and then wow. returned to Norwich. So we've got, <laughs> we've got all, all four bases covered. Wow. So what, what, what would you say your experiences have been of someone sort of going and coming back? I mean, I, 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 uh, I suppose I'm, a, I'm a, an incomer, but... Um, so what are your experiences as a returner? Yeah, so I was at school here. I've lived in the same house in Norfolk all my life, um, but then went to university for three years and kind of came back and started my job search here. So Norfolk was always an option for me, but I have to admit it wasn't the only one. I was also looking kind of London and other big cities kind of, and around the UK. Um, and even abroad as well, I thought, oh, maybe a year in New Zealand might be quite nice. So um, I had my options very much open at the time. And then when this opportunity through Nelson Spirit came up, I just thought, wow, that I can't miss that because it kind of fits what I want to do perfectly. Excellent. So I think it, for me, it was uh, the job um, and the opportunity that kept me kept me in Norfolk, as well as you know getting to live with my parents for a year and things like that. Do you think? Um, I'll start with Nigel, but do you think there's an element to which we kind of have have to accept that there's a bright light, big city pull? Um, no disrespect to Norwich uh, or Ipswich or, or anywhere else in the east of England, but particularly into Cambridge, uh, but mainly into London, uh, that you know, people will that will always be there. And there's you know th th there's a little we can do about it, but not a great deal. But it's it's focusing on those returners 
that that, that perhaps brings us brings us uh, uh, more dividends in terms of getting those best leaders to come and, and take their places in in our region. Oh, that's a big one. Uh, um, yes. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say some some of that I'd agree with, and some of that I, I wouldn't agree with. Excellent. Um, so let's, let's unpack it. Um, it's certainly, for many of young people, I'd say particularly those that do well at school, that London is is a big attraction. Uh, if you look at the look at the the year groups coming through out of university and out of school, those that do particularly well are, are look. And I think it's the it's the blue chip companies, it's the big name companies that they want to work for. Plus yeah. the plus the the nature of the big city, I think, is the attraction. Um, uh, but I think it does change over time. So, I, so uh, with your question, should we just accept that? I think the answer is no, because it does Good. change over yeah. time. Because when when I I I came out of university, uh, you know, many many years ago, and I chose to come back to Norwich. And at that time, um, the the four biggest accountancy firms in the world uh, had offices in Norwich. Yeah. So if I wanted that blue chip experience, which I did, and I started in, in accountancy, I started with uh, Neville Russell and KPMG. Um, you can come to Norwich. Now those firms are withdrawn from the city. That option is no longer available. So industries do change. You know, yes. things do change over time. So, I, so I think we, we shouldn't just accept. Um, the other thing to say, of course, is that um, people have often come home to East Anglia. Um, often this has been in their fifties and sixties, and what we're now finding is people are doing this earlier. They're returning in their forties or thirties or maybe twenties to, yeah. to to live in East Anglia. So I think that's that's an interesting point. Um, the other point would be working from home. Because now we're finding people getting yes. jobs in London, and actually, one of the great things about East Anglia is that the quality of life here is fantastic. It is, you know, yes. and people would probably not choose to leave for the quality of life, but they would have to go for the job. Now, if you can get a job in London and live on the North Norfolk coast, you know, maybe that's the golden ticket. You know, so uh, <laughs> so so I think that's going to change, and we haven't yet fully seen how this hybrid working is is, is going to play out. Um, the other thing it will be interesting to see how many young people, and we haven't got the data yet for this year, are still interested in joining the corporate life. Because corporate life is obviously, that is a synonymous with London. Um, with the increasing in in the gig economy, for example, yeah. you can actually set your own business up for any, anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. So for though, we're seeing now a lot of young people particularly on the environmental side wanting to set up their own social enterprises, wanting to set up their own businesses. That can be done anywhere. So I think there we're in a moving picture, and uh, and I think it will change. So I don't think no. I think I think we have to accept that. And sometimes it's good to leave the village. You know, I mean, I mean sometimes we perhaps we all need to do it at some point yeah. to to go out and stretch our wings and look at other things. Um, but actually, it's amazing how many young people now are returning back and returning back early. Yeah, I think I, I know from my from my from my own wife uh, that uh, she was very adamant that she wanted to return. And I think that for the east of England, that's quite a, a strong. A strong pull in many young people as you say because of because of that quality of life uh, and the things you you find here that you just can't find anywhere else but charlotte how how do we go about i think not just i'm start again how do we go about attracting uh the best uh, leaders to to come uh and and, uh, and make their careers in the east of England, let's let's sort of say we 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 we're not necessarily just focusing on growing our own, as it were. How are we sort of? How do we tempt? Do you think people to come in and and, and be part? Be part of it. I think. Obviously, I can only speak on behalf of myself, and obviously, there's a lot uh, in the east that is very attractive um, to young people and to 
to kind of work, who want to work here and spend their life here. But for me, I think the three most important things um, are working in an exciting and challenging role. So the role and the, um, the job itself needs to be, um, you know, have development opportunities and it's, and then secondly, it's also the people that I, I want to be working with. Maybe this is uh, not very specific to the East, but I need to be working in a kind of supportive team and mo people around me who will motivate me and also colleagues that I can have fun with and um, bounce ideas off. So the context of where I'm working is probably one of the most important things to me. Um, alongside kind of company values and ethics. And I think that's becoming increasingly important, especially amongst my generation. I think so many of my friends are kind of looking into ESG and seeing what the company culture is as opposed to where it is. So maybe if the East kind of focused more on that, then maybe that's how we can attract, attract more people over. I mean, I think it's it's a very interesting point. Nigel looks poised and ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Can I come in? Can I come in? Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think two two points really. One is um, when we talk about the best. You know, how do how do we attract the best? I, I think you know, there's I would draw a distinction between being the best leaders um, and the best business people and the highest performing people at school. And these are not necessarily the same people. Mm. So you know, um, I think we have to be careful when we talk about the the, the best. What does yes, that mean? Exactly. You know, yeah. Some some people who are fantastically good in business do very badly at school. Uh, some people who are fantastic in business do very well at school. You know, they're, they're, there's they're not the same thing. So I think that, that would be my first challenge to the question. But yeah. <laughs> to try to try and answer it, I would say um, I'd probably go any e even further than than uh, than Charlotte and say uh, uh, to answer your question, how do we attract people uh, mm -hmm. in? I would say um, they're already here. Excellent. So we, we, we already have the best people here. Yeah. Um, and actually, to be honest, Mike, your question is slightly Roman. You know? uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, very, do you know what? That is, sounds like a perfect opportunity for, to, to uh, ask you to sort of um, re recount that, uh, that Roman anecdote you told me, which I have used again and again, and I seem to have forgotten just then. But um, g go for it. Well, yeah, the yeah, the, 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 the the Iceni were the were the uh, the village the, the the tribes people of ancient Britain two thousand years ago that lived very peacefully and very happily with huge amounts of culture and stability and and uh, and, and and very happy in their communities um, and then the Romans arrived and and told them that they were unhappy and 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 then wanted them to behave in a Roman way. Um, they decided that the A11 needed duelling because they couldn't get the, the carts up from London very, very quickly. Um, and they built, uh, they built um, uh, uh, Venter Isonorum at Caister on, on the outskirts of Norwich yeah. uh, as, as a Roman village because obviously the Iceni were struggling because they couldn't trade. And essentially none of the local people went to the market. And then after about 30, 40 years, the, the camp closed. So the, the, we've had about 2,000 years really of people coming up from London kind of yeah. telling us that we lack aspiration. And uh, there's, there's a great quote from uh, um, uh, Catus Decianus. Uh, he's a real, it's a real name. You're yeah. it's a real. Catus Decianus was the Roman governor, or proctor, uh, proctor governor uh, of, of Roman Britain. I think AD 60 or something, I got my dates wrong. But around that time. And um, he wrote back to, to Caesar and said the following of the people in East Anglia. He said, um, he said, yes, nice place. He said, the only problem is the people. <laughs> <laughs> he said they're a bit rebellious. He said um, he said they have low aspirations and generally low education standards. 
and are going nowhere. <laughs> you know, and I think we've had people come up the A11 for the last two thousand years and tell us this. You know, and that is what I call the Roman question. You know, what companies do we need to relocate into Wisbeach or Cromer or Norwich to make it a great place? Well, the answer is it is a great place already. You know? yeah. And actually, we've got some great people here. And the answer is to support the young people we have and to inspire them to build great companies. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. And, you, you know, I think the Home First is, is, a, is a great example of, of, of that support and the work you're doing. I mean, Charlotte touched on the values question that I wanted to come back to. Um, earlier and what what were the values that you saw in Nelson Spirit bearing in mind I'm just sitting right there <laughs> and you know um a lot of the advice you see out there from Forbes and, and none of the sources sort of about you know talking value alignment you know you, you must make your values you know there must be an alignment of values um you know which, which seems obvious because if you didn't have a sense of values alignment it and you know i speak to a certain extent from experience it's hard you have to you know if if, if your values aren't completely aligned with what you're doing it, it can be very difficult uh so you know where did you where did you sense that alignment in nelson spirit and and perhaps then i'll come on to ask, ask nigel about the process of values alignment in, in a non-roman way um in an iceni style i think i think for me um it was I think I realised it when I met the crew. So once I fully understood what it was and what Nelson Spirit stood for, I think then I was clear as to whether my values aligned or not. And I think the crew is based on engagement and on supporting each other. And for me, those were really, really important. Um, so the whole social uh, kind of culture of Nelson Spirit and getting young people involved as well as you know CEOs kind of bringing everyone together at the same level I think is amazing and offering that support to whoever and whatever age you may be um, and I really felt my own I felt valued within the crew myself so that really struck me but also I think for me, so I did a geography degree at university, so the environment has always been a top priority. And through Nelson Spirit, I've been able to uh, do lots of work and set up uh, on our environmental promise, which we've set up over the past year. And we've just launched um, a green team. So we've got a number of the crew who are involved, uh, I think it's more than half, who come along to green team breakfasts and all sorts of different environmental topics. And we've really got that going. So for me, that's perfect that I've been able to lead on. So that's, that, that's, that's a really good example, actually, that, you know, not, you weren't, only were you attracted, not only were you attracted, I'm gonna start again, cause I can cut this bit. Not only were you attracted to the values uh, in Nelson Spirit, but you brought your own, you know, your own values uh, along and, you know, your valued the way you valued the environment. Yeah for example, and you sort of made that alignment happen within the organization, which I think is great. Values, Nigel, value, you know, alignment of those values. How do we, how do we make that work, I think? A lot has been written about this and, and, and a lot of companies spend a long time identifying what their values might be. Um, what we found is values are very individual. People, they're very personal. You know, what, what do you believe in? So we were, I racked my brains quite a lot in the early stages about how, how we define the values of Nelson Spirit. But because we're an inclusive community, um, the values are different. 
you know, people have different values right across the community. So what is it that we could, we could hone in on to bring people together? And we were clear about three things. We call them beliefs. This is what we believe. And it kind of, if you believe this, you're welcome to join us. And if you don't believe us yeah. in this, then okay. So um, the three beliefs were that um, it's good for leaders to engage closely. So close engagement, as in the Nelson concept, is good. Yeah. It's good for you as an individual leader. It's good for your business or charity. And it's good for the community. That was our first belief. Our second belief was that helping others is one of the best ways to grow yourself. So when we get the crew together, the focus isn't on extraction, it isn't on what can I get out of it, it's what can I give yeah. and what, how can I help the other people here. So that's our second belief. And our third belief is that we feel it's the duty, again a, a Nelson word, we feel it's the duty of the leaders of today to support the leaders of tomorrow. So there are three beliefs. And we say to people, if you, if you sign up to those three, you're welcome. You know, if you don't sign up to those three, that's fine. You, yeah. know, you probably won't fit in the group. And um, when, when engaging on a wider scale, I say, you know, the, three, the four things we're for, as we're, we're for Norfolk, we're for young people, we're for business, and we're for the community. Yeah. And if you're, for, if you're for those four as well, then you're on our side. If you're against any of that, then, then you're not well, on our yeah, side. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it's about being clear, I think, on what it is you stand for fundamentally and then allowing people the opportunity, as we said with Charlotte, she, she's got a, a passion for the environment and, and for ESG. Some, if not most of the crew also have that. So we've now formed a subgroup of people that really want to motor forward in that area. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, I think personally, I think that it's sort of the private sector, business sector are the ones who are really making strides in those areas, uh, are really kind of focusing very seriously on ESG, on net zero in a way that, you know, I think not necessarily the lo local level public sector, but national public sector would be doing very well to emulate. But I'll, I'll hop down off my soapbox now and... So when the wider business community is looking for its leaders within the East of England, are they, do you think, Nigel, looking for the right qualities in people or could they be looking more broadly? Crikey. Um, it, it, it's difficult, a very difficult question to answer because it depends on who's look, who we're talking about doing the looking. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, it's very difficult to generalise because you've got 80-90% of, of the businesses in the region are SMEs yeah. you know, and, and, then, and then you've got a, a very small number of very large organisations. So when we talk about leaders, yeah. what leaders are we talking about? Yeah. Um, the, the bigger companies tend to look outside the village for their leaders. Yes. It's quite interesting that I found this a common around the world. That uh, you know, the, I was doing some work uh, l uh, last year in Canada, and it's the same thing in Canada. You know, if you're from Toronto, you, nobody will offer you an opportunity, but the people in America, in, in Chicago, will. You yeah. Know? So there, there's often this sense of we need somebody from outside to, to, to come in who doesn't know the history type thing. So there's uh, so often people look outside rather than inside. So I, I would say one of the fundamental things is is look inside first, because often we miss people because we maybe we know them too much or they're not visible mm -hmm. internally. I think uh, just maybe alter the question slightly is, are we putting enough, you know, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, that chap's a leader or that, that, uh, that, that uh, lady's a leader uh, because they are outspoken, because they are big personalities and because they're quite, um, you know, uh, quite 
decisive and clear in what they want to happen? And are we placing too little value on soft skills, on having that integrity, uh, that core um, that, you know, someone might not be, you know, fill a room with their personality, but they still might be very clear headed about what they want to do and able to softly bring people along. Yeah, I, I think in, in the public narrative, we we use the, use the words interchangeably, which is not helpful. So <laughs> we often say leader when we mean entrepreneur, and yeah. sometimes we mean business person, and sometimes we mean celebrity, yeah. and sometimes we mean big character, you know, yeah. and, and, and we use these. Um, the interesting thing at the moment is the difference between being a leader and somebody who holds a leadership position. Ah, yeah. So this is an interesting piece of research, Mark, maybe worth sharing at this point, that we did within East Anglia, and we asked people, um, who inspires you as a leader? Yeah. You know, and we gave people four categories. Mm -hmm. We said, um, people in leadership positions, like Prime Minister, yeah. you know, head of the Bank of England, uh, head, of, head of the European <laughs> Union, or whoever, you know, people, head of, head of the County Council, you know, people in leadership positions was category one. Category two was famous people, but people who are not in leadership positions, so celebrities, footballers, yeah. whatever. Category three was um, friends and family, and category four was work colleagues. Yeah. And we asked people to say where they got their inspiration from. Okay, Mike, yeah, I'm putting you on the spot now. Right. What, I'll now announce this. I'll announce this. What do you think? How did people go? Well, that is a very where good question. People, I'll, 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 I think, um, let's say colleagues. Okay. I'm well off, aren't I? No, no, no. There were three categories that were well supported. Yeah. Okay. The top category was friends and family. Mm -hmm. most, pe most people in business get most of their inspiration of friends and family. Really? Yep. Sorry, Cat Mum. Category, <laughs> <laughs> category two was work colleagues. Yeah. Category three was people in public life who don't hold leadership positions. Mm -hmm. Now, if you add those three categories together, it came to 92% of the inspiration. My gosh. Only 8% of the leadership inspiration comes from people who are in leadership positions. Yeah. Now, we did this a few years back in East Anglia. I repeated the exercise across the Commonwealth two years ago. Really? And wow. the results yeah. came out exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. So this, this is not a Norfolk or a Suffolk phenomenon. Mm. This is something that's happening around the world in that business people, community people get their inspiration from people they know. Yeah. And a lot of people in public positions of leadership are not leading. So the question is, when you say you're a leader, that's different. Are you leading or are you holding a leadership position? Right. Gosh, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? Um... I've started interviewing. Tables are turned. You've completely started. <laughs> well, where, where, where do I go with that? I mean, I suppose... Um, what I'm immediately reflecting on that is, I suppose in many ways, it depends on whether you're, you know, almost whether your friends and families, friends and family, whether some of them are in leadership positions, because I can, oh, okay, I'll name names. Anne Leach, who used to run the Spire Hospital uh, and is a, now a consultant and chair of uh, Starston Parish Council. I'd follow her into fire. She, amazing, amazing woman. Uh, fantastic. Um, she's just got that inspirational core that makes you think, right, where do you want to go? Because, you know, I'll, I'll come with you, uh, you know, and... Uh, she might, you know her. 
Exactly. You know her character. Exactly. And you know her capability. Yes, exactly. Personal experience. Exactly. And you've been inspired by it. Exactly. And uh, Ros Bird at the Nor Norwich Research Park is another person who you just sit there and listen to thinking, wow, yeah. what an inspiring character. And, you know, um, there there are others, but those those are the two who, who spring to mind for me most readily. Um, but then we, this is the world we live in, Mike. Exactly. We, are, we, we face this all the time, don't we, Charlotte, with our Nelson mm. Spirit group. Mm. There are some incredible people out there doing some amazing work. Mm. And when you connect with them, when, when you engage with them, you get the inspiration. You turn on the TV or, or you look on the internet and you see the so-called leaders. I think, you, 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 you know, you're hitting, you're hitting uh, as well on, on the, the, the area of authenticity. I mean, that's, you know, the, the saying is, if you can fake authenticity, you've got it made. But I genuinely think, and you're, you both are excellent examples of this, where you can see that, that natural enthusiasm coming out, that natural love in what you do, you know, the love in what you're doing, the belief in the purpose you're holding and the values that underpin that. Yeah. They, they, you know, from many people I talk to, and I think this is probably the reason I talk to them, but, you know, it, it's palpable. It really is palpable. I mean, you know, N Nigel, you're sitting there virtually, you know, sort of jumping out of your seat with enthusiasm <laughs> and, 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 um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, belief and passion. And that is such a wonderful thing. And, you know, you, you, you do, you, you meet people, I think, uh, that, that for sometimes for years, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for mo you know hour or two, who really make you feel that wow, that wow factor in the you know that 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 belief. And I, I come as someone who's worked in Westminster, so I know when you can find it, when you can't. And um, but you know you, you, that's what you've alluded to. Do you want to just sort of reflect some more on that? Uh, I think Charlotte, I'll, Charlotte, I'll point to Marjorie. I'll go back to Charlotte. Actually, I think. Yeah, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. I know before we were um, on air, I know you were asking us who our kind of most inspiring leaders yeah, were. Yeah, come on to that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No spoilers, no spoilers. No. But um, I think for me, meeting the crew, um, there's so many inspiring leaders for me within them. And it's very difficult for me now to comment on this because of who I'm about to say, but um, I think authenticity is so important. Instantly feeling at ease around them, being able to talk to them and um, having trust, I think, yeah, trust and integrity is so important. Mm. I, think, I think it also comes, one of the things, having done this now for, you know, best part of 15 years um, with, on the Nelson Spirit journey, the question I've asked myself is what do all these people have in common? You know, what, what is leadership? And apart from the two C's, kind of, you know, what, but they're all, they're all so different. But I think there is one kind of torch that shines bright and, and, and shows the path uh, for all leaders and, and that is the, the sense of higher purpose yeah you know, a sense of they're in it not for themselves mm -hmm. but in order to achieve something that's bigger than themselves and I think people can sense that I mean you see the two examples you mentioned there Mike I, you know we, we know both as individuals and, and you're spot on and yeah. they are mm -hmm. people who shine shine that light and other people can see it and you can't fake it you know, no, the you politicians can't. try to, mm. but people can sense it. And uh, I tell you, young people are particularly good at sensing that. <laughs> you know, as, as we get older, perhaps we become less good at it, but young people can sense it, you know, and they, uh, we're born with this intuition, I think, of knowing whether somebody is doing it for themselves or are they doing it to, for a greater purpose themselves. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we'll, we'll, I think we'll, it, now is a good point to, to visit that question that I, I kind of posed to Charlotte and Nigel uh, via email, which was excluding, you know, for Charlotte, you're not allowed to pick Nigel. 
And Nigel, you're, you're, Nigel, you're not allowed to pick Nelson. So, you know, Charlotte, um, can you name for me some, you know, they don't have to be, you know, personally known to you, but, you know, you're, 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 the, the, the leader you sort of most identify with, who you're really you know, interested in following, um, who are really keen to follow? So it was a difficult question for me. I did think through um, celebrity names and kind of people throughout my childhood who have been, I think, um, yeah, who I've looked up to over time. But for me, it did kind of boil down to um, someone who I knew personally, I think. Uh, yeah, it, so I yesterday I was doing a half marathon for Little Lifts and their founder, Owa Hackett, she's absolutely brilliant, the most charismatic and uh, inspiring person I think that I've met. And yeah. for me, doing a half marathon was a bit terrifying and I thought, no, I, I can't really do that. It's not something that I was looking to. Um, but when I met Owa at a Nelson Spirit, Spirit meeting back in November, I got chatting to her and then she told me her story about how she set up Little Lifts and was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of only 28. So I'm 23 now, so that's wow. you know not even yeah. a big difference in age. And for her to turn something so life-changing into something so positive by setting up Little Lifts and then getting a great team around her of volunteers and people who want to support her, I just thought, you know, this is amazing and I want to do something small that can help. So forgive me, because I'm really interested to unpack that a little, because once you'd met Oa and you'd committed to the half marathon, was there an element to which is, you know, I have, I have to get this done for Oa, I have to sort of show Oa that, you know, uh, or, 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 or do this for Oa, do you think? Definitely, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I couldn't let her down. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I was, <laughs> what I was groping for was you didn't want to let her down, and uh, yeah. So that's was that was that a kind of a motivation as keep obviously keeping you going. On Definitely, the... yeah, and just kind of thinking about. Um, so they uh, support, uh, they provide care packages for patients going through chemotherapy or mm. radiotherapy. Um, so it's always been a cause very close to my heart. I knew you know, lots of people in my family and friends have had cancer. And um, I just think their message of a little kindness can go a long way. That really kind of struck me. And I just thought, oh, that's amazing. And just what, you know, Nelson Spirit's about as well. And I think, yeah, that's that's really good. I, I won't break into my wobbly uh, rendition of Try a Little Kindness by Glenn Campbell. <laughs> Uh, but oh, go on. no, no, thank you. No, thank you. Pardon? That's who you remind us of. Uh, thank Glenn you, Campbell. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Nigel, I'll put him on. Yeah, I know. Uh, you're very, you've, been, you've been absolutely brilliant at putting me off. My start, which is, which I'm is, used to it. Which is never very confident at the best of time. But, um, Nigel, yeah, your ideal, um, your ideal leader. Your, you know that. Uh, inspires you and we're not allowed to name Nelson. <laughs> okay, um, I think for me, um, uh, having been now doing this for, um, I'm in my 50th year now, uh, looking back, my, my first leadership experience was as a Cub Scout yeah. uh, at the age of nine. Wow. And, um, and, and, and it fascinated me as to why some boys at that time were getting responsibility and and, and I looked up to a, a guy uh, called Des who was 13. He, he was really old. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I respected him for what, who he was and, and what he was doing. And since that moment, I've kind of been really interested in, in leadership and why some people 
uh, respect of another's aunt and how you get uh, get things done through leadership. But the person I'm going to choose was back back then was my old Cub Scout leader, a, a lady called Ivy. Fantastic. She was a spinster. Mm -hmm. She was overweight. She uh, wore really raggy clothes, clothes, and you, you wouldn't regard her as an archetypal leader, but she was brilliant. She was absolutely amazing, and she made me and lots of other people uh, feel confident in ourselves. Yes. And that was the first time I think somebody outside the family had actually shown some confidence in me, had mm. supported me, had backed me. And if I can, I'll just give one little story as to, as to how, this, how this sort of developed. She, um, I do a lot of speak, a bit of speaking now, as you know, uh, <laughs> I might. And um, uh, uh, back then, when I was nine, I was petrified uh, yeah. about having to say something in front of the rest of the pack. And she asked me one week if I'd do the prayers. And I remember standing there with a piece of paper in my hand, physically shaking, yeah. because I was so nervous to speak, speak in public. And afterwards, she smiled at me and nodded. You know, after I'd done delivered the prayers, and um, the next week she said, um, "Would you do the prayers again?" And I've written either A or B. Which one would you like to do? So I read it again. This time I wasn't quite so nervous. And then the third week she said, "I've got some ideas on what you might do for the prayer, and could you construct your own prayer around wow. these ideas?" Yeah. And then a few weeks later she said, "Oh, I haven't had time to do the prayer. Can you do it?" And I stood up and did it. Yeah. And I realised I'd gone through my first leadership development programme. Yes. Somebody gave exactly. me confidence and encouragement, and suddenly I was speaking in public with confidence mm. in a matter of weeks at the age of nine. Yeah. And it was all about me, not about her, as far as she was concerned. And that's something that stood with me for a long time. Leaders actually often don't step forward. Yeah. The best leaders get you to step forward. Exactly. And so that's why she would be my number. Yeah, I, th I think that's important too. And it's important to, I think, always recognize your team and make sure when you're in kind of that mid-tier leadership role um, that you 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 kind of say, it, it's it's my team. You know, my team deserve that credit. There they are. Th that's what they've done. Um, you know, uh, Sue did this. Graham did that. And, you know, that's that's where the that's where the credit lies with those guys um and uh, you, you're so right and you've again put me brilliantly off my stride um with I know I know I, I don't know what's going on today it's it's um can I just say an example of that would be ne next week um, um I'm lucky enough to privileged enough to be uh, to be speaking at RAF Marham Oh, wow. uh, at, on their Battle of Britain evening. Uh, Battle of Britain's been, always been of interest. One of the things I speak on is history and leadership. And um, they've got a Battle of Britain dinner. Um, and it's on the 15th of uh, uh, September for the, for the officers' mess at Marham. Um, and uh, one of the things that came out of my research preparing for this over the weekend was the point you just made. Uh, during the Battle of Britain, a lot of the commanders the most successful commanders spent a lot of their time making sure their personnel and the pilots were looked after. Yeah. As opposed to looking after the politicians. You know, and, and that looking after your people, making sure your people are, are, are well serviced and, 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 and are healthy um, is, is a timeless leadership skill. Yeah. And I'm going to be talking about that next, uh, and, and, next week. Yeah, and sticking your neck out in many, many ways. For, and taking for, people for on often. Yeah. yeah, taking people on up, up the line. Uh, who, who have more power than you yeah. and, and, and defending your team uh, uh, against people in authority. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You, you, we're talking about now um, uh, the, the RAF and the Battle of Britain because, ironically, um, my GCSE project 
was, uh, and this is really where this whole podcasting thing initially came from, was an, uh, a one-man, one-boy audio drama of um, uh, Hugh Dowding, who was... Oh. Amazing. Commanding a fight, Commanding, uh, commanding uh, fight. You know, I called it. I called the piece uh, that damned obstinate Scott, which I believe was was how he was referred to by by some of his his, his colleagues, and how he yeah. he he stuck to his guns uh, and the belief in you know the way to fight the Battle of Britain, and you know despite all the pressure he was coming under to change tactics, and um, I, I just remember creating this kind of booklet to go with it because oh dear um and i'm not sure uh, any copies of that still exist because i was doing sat i no it's here it's uh, audio it's audio drama i think on a cassette that uh, i would use my father's keyboard to do the sound effects of planes and and uh, dog fights and, and what have you so um yes unfortunately i don't think any co copies still still remain and uh, but it's it's a very it's a very interesting topic and it's he is. Uh, but, you know, an example of that would be you know, he insisted on pilot rotation. Yeah. That the pilots be taken out of the line and, and, and rotated around and rested, etc. Yeah. And there was political pressure to, to not do that. Mm. Uh, so, and he fought, uh, uh, the, the Spitfire Mark II had a, had a, a mirror yeah. attached to it because the Mark I's didn't. Um, and that's because the pilot said that it was needed and he pushed that through fast. There's all sorts of examples yeah, of him exactly. actually look, looking, after, looking, after the, uh, looking after the pilots. And, uh, and um, yeah, really one of the three people who we owe the Battle of Britain and really the, um, the security of the Western civilization to. I'm gonna give you this. This is this is this is I have taken this from Stephen Bungay, who is a who's a historian on the Battle of Britain. It's not mm -hmm. mine, it's it's his. And um, he he likens it to uh, Excalibur from, uh, from Camelot. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, Dowding's design of the um, uh, fighter command defence system, the integrated defence system that Dowding put in place, yeah. including radar and the sector stations and the, and, and the um, observer corps and all the information coming back, um, was revolutionary for its time. Yeah. And um, uh, Bungie's called that Excalibur. Mm. So that, that, was, that was the weapon that was needed to, to defeat uh, the enemy, the dragon. Um, the other two people are Churchill mm -hmm. and Keith Park. Yes. Uh, Churchill, by giving permission to use Excalibur mm -hmm. and Park for wielding Excalibur so expertly during the battle. Was he a Kiwi? Park? He was. Very good. I yeah, thought, he yeah. was. He was. Yes. Um, but interestingly, what we're now doing is we're using some of that uh, Battle of Britain um, research to inform leaders of today because what it does drive out is three critical aspects of leadership for, for people at the senior end. And I think today is a very topical day to be looking at this yes. because uh, what Churchill was to be able to do was to determine the narrative, three Ds. Determine the narrative, design the plan, deliver the plan. Yeah. Churchill brilliantly um, determined the narrative, uh, Dowding brilliantly designed the plan and Park brilliantly delivered the plan. And often in our public life we're missing the first two steps. Yes. Often we ask our public servants to uh, deliver excellence yeah. Without a good plan or a great narrative. I mean, I, it's interesting you mention that because I. Sorry, Charlotte. We've no, just done the battle. I'm enjoying it. You studied this as well, didn't you? <laughs> Not as much detail. <laughs> I was, was going to come back to Charlotte in a minute. I promise. But um, what I, I I find is 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 very interesting about Churchill, and I've reflected on this uh, a lot 
uh, in, should we say, recent times without going too deep down that road, because this is essentially Eastern Promise's mission statement is is relentless, crushing positivity and optimism yeah. about the East of England. And uh, what I find really interesting about Churchill is my deep belief that where he differs from more recent uh, wannabes uh, is that I think he would have, in a heartbeat, changed places with anyone on the front line. He would have put his life on the line for the country without question, without hesitation. He would have done that. And I think there aren't, there are regrettably not as many examples of that in our current political leadership as perhaps are, are needed. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm being unfair. But uh, that's that's why I sort of, the difference I felt came in. I mean, Charlotte, what's... Uh, let me just change tack a little and just go on very briefly before we start winding up is to um, to talk about um, diversity and, you know, balance in leadership. Now, it's I, I'm, I'm, I'm not blind to the fact that the two examples I gave were women and I've worked under as many women as I have men, um, various levels of uh, trust and, uh, you know, um, and it's, it's kind of gender blind when it comes to that for me. But what where, where do you... Places now. This is a very difficult question that I'm asking because being a man, being a middle-aged man, is a very difficult question. To, a white man is very difficult to ask. But how are we doing in the east of England? In um, do you think in having that sense of diversity, having you know as much access for for young female leaders as we are young male leaders? And I wonder what Nigel thinks. You think about this um, between sort of restoring a balance and then rectifying an injustice. Yeah. Do, 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 is there a risk that we go, I mean, too far down the road and, and, and we, we lose that meritocracy? Or do we need to do that just to, re to, to restore the balance, you know, after a sort of centuries of, of imbalance? Mm. That was deep. Yeah. <laughs> He's getting me back now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I think, I think diversity and inclusion are different. Mm. And um, there isn't enough... Uh, non-politicised discussion and yeah. debate about those issues. Uh, they, they, all these issues are highly political mm. um, in, in every way you can possibly conceive. And, and the public narrative is dominated by extreme voices uh, in yeah. all places. Mm. So it makes it very difficult to, uh, to, to have a, a, even a discussion about, about these things without, without a lot of people being very offended very quickly. Mm. Um, in Nelson Spirit, we, we've thought very carefully about this, and, and what we've decided, uh, what we're about, is inclusion. And, and we want people f to feel as though they are included and can be included, and that Nelson Spirit is for everybody. Okay, So um, that's different than driving a diversity agenda. Yeah. Because, you know, diversity in relation to what? You know, what is your community? You know, the Norfolk community is very different to the community in Norwich. Yeah. Uh, the Norwich community is different to the community in London. You know, and if you start to focus on diversity often, you know, someone said to me the other day, um, only half serious, half joking, diversity leads to exclusion. Inclusion leads to equality. Yeah. So there, there are lots of different things. I think you can get hung up with a lot of this. Of I think what we've, what we've tried to do is to say, okay, um, how do we make our communities and how do we make our businesses inclusive to people. In fact, uh, um, if I can draw attention to the, the podcast I did with EWA a few uh, yes, weeks yes, ago on, on, on the strangers who, who came to Norfolk 
to Norwich in the 16th and 17th century. At that point, a third of the population of Norwich was foreigners. And generally, the foreigners got on really well with the locals. Yeah. And, um, and uh, um, things worked well. Uh, they set up businesses. Uh, the relationships were really good. So it, it was because at that time, Norwich was very inclusive and, and welcomed the strangers into the community. And together, we make something that's better. Yeah. So, so I think for most people on the ground who are not political, I mean, I, you know, this is a political issue, but for most people who are not political, I would say uh, all the businesses and charities we've met are very much into inclusion. You know, people yeah. want to include people. Um, what people get um, annoyed with is kind of artificial kind of uh, agendas and, and targets and, and stuff that doesn't, doesn't really um, make, make much sense. So, so I think, um, yeah, so I mean, we, I, you know, I, think, I think we're as diverse in Nelson Spirit as Norfolk is. Yeah, I, I, I would say. We, in fact, we're, we might be even more diverse than, 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 than Norfolk is. But it's it's, it's a hot, it's a it's difficult to comment, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, you we all have our own bias. Um, you know, um, and then there's there's cognitive diversity as well as you know. You might have you know. I, had, I did some work with the Bank of England a few years ago, and they were very pleased because they had uh, you know they had some diversity. Um, but all their people came from one university. For example, so you know, is that diversity? Yeah. You know, if if everybody thinks the same way, so yeah, it's it's a it's to be honest, it's not a topic. It's not a topic. Mm. If you've got an inclusive group, it's not a topic that comes up very often. No, of course, um, because people, if they're comfortable who they are, and you don't need to raise it at all. Know. I mean, one one of the charity one of the charity members we have is a, a charity called Globally Onward, set up by Yulia, who's who's a Romanian lady, moved into Norwich. And uh, she's trying to find jobs for professionally qualified um, immigrants moving into the city. Mm -hmm. And everybody is getting behind it. And all the crew members are behind mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and because people see the higher purpose. Yeah. They can it's, see she's exactly. a genuine person. They can what? see that she's trying to do something which is positive. And that's far more important than hitting a diversity agenda. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful point to bring the whole thing full circle and, and, and to a close in that, that, uh, that higher purpose. Uh, and Nelson Spirit is an excellent example of that higher purpose, I think. All power to you, all power to, to what you're doing. And, you know, Eastern Promise, uh, myself, uh, supporting that, you know, completely. I was going to say 110%, which is, which is a ludicrous thing, because then you can drop your effort by 10% and still be claiming to do everything. So, but, you know, yeah, uh, you, you do such fantastic work. We're so pleased to have you as the custodian of uh, one of the East of England's most revered uh, leaders. And, you know, I wish you every success going forward. And uh, thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Well, it turns out that there were two experts. And what an enormous pleasure it was to speak with Nigel, whose tiggerish enthusiasm and passion for Norfolk cannot be extinguished. And to Charlotte, of whom we now have great expectations. So no pressure there. <laughs>